Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of June 28th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you this morning to open up your Bibles, if you're at home, if you're here in the building with us today, to Acts chapter 2. So we continue our look at the continuing works of Christ as described in this book that follows up the Gospels of Luke in particular. The same author, Luke, is the author of the Gospel of Luke and the author of the book of Acts. Last time we were together in this book, a couple of weeks ago, we saw and looked at what took place on Pentecost Sunday, that moment when the Holy Spirit came upon power upon the disciples as they prayed in the upper room, as they began to speak out the Gospel and to speak to others in different languages about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we kind of left off there and we titled it, What in the World Happened? or What Happened? This morning we're going to actually answer or look at a question that we see that Peter talks about in verse 12 of Acts chapter 2. So if you would with me, Acts chapter 2 verse 12, we'll read from there to verse 21. They all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? Others were mocking and saying they're full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet of Joel. Prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will for, pour forth of my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my bond slaves both men and women i will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy and i will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The question we're answering this morning, or we're going to at least try to begin to answer is, what does this all mean? What does it mean that Christ ascended into heaven and said, I will send one after me, the Comforter, that we know to be the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that as those disciples were gathered in that upper room, some 10 days after he ascended, that they, as they prayed, encountered the living Spirit of God, the result of which they boldly proclaimed the gospel in various tongues and various languages. What does it mean that all this took place? That's the question that they're asking in Jerusalem as they witnessed this incredible thing. What does all this mean? And that is the question I hope we begin to look at this morning. Would you, pray, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to the Scripture this morning, I pray that you would give us understanding. That, Lord, as we look on the events that took place nearly 2,000 years ago, that we understand what they mean not just for them, but that we understand what they mean for today. And the Lord, just as your Spirit was active and living and, and working then, so you are now. Lord, give us understanding this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
You know, there are a lot of things for us to talk about today, aren't there? There are a lot of things going on in our world, and each and every day presents new and uh, maybe less or more interesting things to talk about. We can talk about the politics of the day. We are in election year. We could talk about the COVID-19 virus. We could talk about some of the social issues that are going on. We could talk about, oh, things like the fact there's no sports being played. Maybe we like that. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe we talk about music, or we talk about movies, or we talk about any number of things. There's lots of conversations to be had. But when we come to Acts chapter 2, we see the people of God, the disciples in particular, talking about one thing. They're not talking about Caesar. They're not talking about the high priest. They're not talking about the issues of the day from a social perspective. They're not talking about who's right and who's wrong. They're not talking about what books they've read. They're talking about Jesus Christ. And the events that take place in what we call Pentecost are centered around those things. And they're centered around Christ Himself. So that day, as we remember, the Holy Spirit came. We saw the tongues of the, the flames that looked like tongues of fire. We saw the sound that sounded like a great wind. And we saw these individuals begin to speak in different languages so that all these Jews from different parts of the world heard the testimony of Christ in their own language. And we know it's apparently happening pretty early in the morning because this is what Peter says. And so this has caused quite a stir. The sound, the, the preaching, the different languages are being spoken of. This has caused quite a stir in Jerusalem. It appears that probably things have moved from that upper room to perhaps even the temple. And as they've moved, they've gathered a crowd. People are wondering what in the world all these Galileans are doing, speaking of all these different languages. And some have speculated that they're drunk. Now, it's interesting to me, Peter's going to put that to rest pretty quickly. He says, listen, these guys are not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. In other words, it is way too early to be drunk. And really what Peter's saying is, that's just a stupid thing to say. I'm, just, I'm paraphrasing, but if I could paraphrase Peter... He's just going, guys, that's just a stupid idea that these guys are drunk. And what he's pointing out there in this, little, this, this whole drunk thing, what he's pointing out is, I think, the lengths that people will go to to avoid confronting the truth of Christ. It's amazing the things that we'll talk about, the things that we'll point to, the arguments we'll put out there, the things that we'll refer to, if it enables us to avoid dealing with the truth of God's Word. Throughout the years of ministry, throughout the many years of talking to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's amazing the things that will get brought up so as to avoid the topic. There's even some examples in the gospels. You may remember Jesus talking to the person we call the woman at the well or in Samaria. And he begins to talk to her about who he is. And she immediately begins to change the subject. People do that. You and I, even as believers in Christ, sometimes when we are confronted with the gospel, when we're confronted with the truth of God's word, we want to change the subject. We want to come up with some reason. We don't have to deal with it. And we're not the only ones. This world will do that as well. These people are making ridiculous accusations so that they don't have to deal with the truth of who Jesus Christ is. They're making up rumors. They're they're gossiping. They're coming up with all kinds of silly explanations so they don't have to deal 
with the truth of Jesus Christ. By the way, again, this happens not just out in the world. Yes, unbelievers will often try to change the subject and make accusations and say things about the Bible and say things about Christ. Some really don't have to deal with God. But the truth is we do that sometimes even as believers in Christ, don't we? Someone confronts us with something that's uncomfortable. Someone points out someplace that maybe we're wrong. And what's our first response? Just to come up with some reason why we don't have to listen to them or believe them. This is what's called in debate circles and logic circles a red herring. I don't want to deal with it, so I will throw out something that has got nothing to do with it, and I will come up with a reason why I don't have to listen to you. So if you're telling me something I don't like, well, I will just come up with some reason I don't have to listen to you. Maybe I don't like your hair color. Maybe I don't like the, the way you look, or I don't like your background, or maybe you said something before I didn't like then, so I'll use that as an excuse to not have to listen to you today. It's called a red herring. By the way, I see this all the time, not just in faith circles, but in all kinds of circles. We will not like something being said, so we come up with all reasons why we don't have to worry about what they said because we attack the person who said it. By the way, I want you to understand, so often God uses messengers that this world would never use to communicate His truth. Now, maybe we're not as familiar with the culture and times of ancient scriptures as they were obviously they, back then, but who were the first, who were the very first witnesses to Jesus' birth? Well, it was shepherds. Okay, you and I probably don't think too much about that, but in that day and age, shepherds were considered to be the scum of the earth. They were considered to be unreliable. They were who you hired when you couldn't get anybody else. No one paid attention to them. And yet, that's the first people that were witnesses to the birth of Christ. Who were the first people who were witnesses to Christ's resurrection? It was the women, the disciples, Mary Magdalene and others. Now, again, to us, that's no big deal. But to them, women were considered so unreliable, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. So I'm glad it's not that way today, but you get the point. So often in Scripture, those are just two examples, God uses the people that this world would look down on to be the one that delivers His messages. So before you dismiss someone saying something to you, whether it's about faith or anything else, just because you don't like them or you don't like their politics or you don't like their personality or whatever it might be, evaluate what they're saying, not who they are. Because God may be using a message you don't expect to give His truth. They're coming up with this idea that they're drunk. Remember, the issue this morning is not what I say. It's not what someone said on Facebook. It's not what the governor says or the president says. It's not what some famous actor or musician says. It's not what some athlete says. It's not what some author or scientist says. What matters this morning is what God has said and what's in His Word, even if it comes from the mouth of a donkey. For those of you who remember, y'all remember the story of Balaam, the talking donkey in the Old Testament? You want to question a source of wisdom? Get something from a donkey. And yet, a donkey was speaking the words of God. So the accusation is thrown out there so folks don't want to listen to them. Peter deals with that, and he answers that criticism, he answers that accusation with Scripture. Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice, declared to them, Men of Judea, all 
you live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you. These men are not drunk. It's what is spoken of through the prophet Joel. And the next four verses, 17, 18, 19, and 20, and 21, five verses, sorry, are a quotation from Joel chapter 2. And Joel chapter 2 is a, is a passage that deals with something called the day of the Lord. It's often seen as a passage that deals with what you and I might call end times or the last days. It's written to the people of God, written to the nation of Israel, as they're in a time of great persecution, exile. Uh, they are not seeing what they perceive to be God's presence with them. They're suffering, and God is giving them news that it will not always be the way it is today. And he says in this, in verse 17, as he quotes, it shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. The question is, the people of Jerusalem are asking this question, what does all this mean? What does it mean that these uneducated Galilean hicks are all speaking different languages, talking about God and talking about Jesus? What does this mean? And Peter says, here's what it means. That God said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. This is what it means. Well, I still don't get what that's talking about. Well, there's a couple things here. First of all, when we get, get to more anything else, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Now, we have seen this already in Pentecost as God is pouring forth the Holy Spirit on these men and empowering them to witness. We've talked about that in previous weeks. But what he's saying is this, in those last days, and by the way, these last days have begun with Pentecost, so that means you and I are now living in the last days. He says, in these last days, God will pour out His Spirit on all mankind. We'll just say everybody, all right? Everybody. From one end of the map to the other, north to south, east to west, everybody gets the opportunity to have the Spirit of the Lord in their lives without any distinction. Now, for you and I, that might seem logical, but understand we're still talking about Jerusalem and the Jewish people who think that they are the only ones who get access to God. And so what Peter is saying is this, the last days have arrived. And these last days mean that it's not just Israel that gets the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is everybody. Those last days, he says, God's Spirit will be poured out on all races, all ages, all men and women. So not just the Jews, the Gentiles, not just the white folks, but the black folks. Not just the Asians, but the Africans and the Europeans and the South Americans and North Americans. I don't know if there's anybody in Antarctica, but the Antarcticans. <laughs> God's Spirit is on everybody. God no longer excludes anybody. There is no way that you and I as God's people can say God can't work among them or isn't working among them. His Spirit is being poured out on all people. And he says that they will prophesy. Now, I know you and I tend to associate prophecy with this idea of telling the future. And while that does happen in Scripture, 
for the most part, prophetic speech has got less to do with telling the future and more to do with this idea of speaking the words of God. So whether you're Joel or Isaiah or David or Elijah, prophesying, while it does sometimes include speaking to the future, more often than not means simply speaking God's words. And the only time it means speaking to the future is when God's words speak to the future. It's not the prophet telling the future, it's God telling the future through the prophet. All the prophet's doing is speaking the words of God. So you hear men like Ezekiel saying, the word of the Lord came, or the word of the Lord said, or God said this, and he repeats what God said. That's what it means to prophesy. And so what he's saying here is this, when the Spirit of God comes and poured forth on his people, they will, men, women, young, old, regardless of gender, regardless of ethnic identity, they will speak my word when my spirit comes on them. That's what's going to happen. So what does this mean? What does Pentecost mean? It means that in these last days, God's Spirit will be poured out on all His people, and all His people will in turn speak the words of God. So this morning, as you and I are gathered, yes, I'm in a role this morning as a pastor where I'm speaking and preaching and proclaiming something that God has called me to do that, to call me to preach. But while you may not be, quote, preachers, God has still, if you are one who has trusted Christ this morning, He has poured out His Spirit upon you, and one of the results of that is that you will in turn take this and tell it to others. That's part of who you are. That's what He said here. This is what Peter's talking to us about. His Spirit is poured out upon all, not just Jew, but all of us. Not just men, not just women. All of, Well, I guess that's all there is, just men and women. <laughs> All of us have been given the Spirit of God and can in turn speak the words of God because we have it right here. That's what's happening. That's part of what this means. The failure, by the way, of us not speaking the words of God, of not telling others about Christ, of not taking the gospel to all people is to deny the function and the call of God's Spirit. Now catch that. If we refuse to do the very thing and be part of the very thing that God's trying to accomplish through Pentecost and His church today, we are in essence denying the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts. It is to put ourselves in the same position as those in Jerusalem who rejected Christ. A believer in Christ, one who goes by the name of Christian, one who would profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, cannot in turn refuse to love and go and speak to all the world. It's not an option. If there is a group of people in our world today who should be typified, who should be characterized by unconditional love for everyone, no matter what their skin color is, no matter what their economic background is, no matter how much hair they have or don't have, no matter what color their hair, no matter what team they root for, no matter what nation they call home, if there's a people who should be 
loving towards all others, it should be the people of God. There is an element, and this is, I, don't, I don't think this represents all Christians, but let's be honest. In the culture of our world this morning, the culture of our nation this morning, there are those who hate others for no other reason than their skin color is different. And that is a blatant slap in God's face, and it's a blatant sin. And we as God's people cannot tolerate that. Because it flies in the face directly of what's happening in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. What has saddened me a little bit, again, I don't think this is typical of all, I have seen as even this world has recognized to a certain degree the sin of racism. I've seen pushback. I've seen anger on those who call themselves followers of Christ in dealing with and, and, and pushback in this idea that maybe there are times that we as Christians have been wrong here. If there's a group of people who should acknowledge their sin first, confess it, and then love unconditionally, it should be us. Even if we don't like the messenger. Remember, we've already dealt with that, right? We deal with truth, not who the messenger is. We deal with the Word of God, even if God uses a donkey. All right? Now, sometimes we don't tell the words of God because we say things like this. I don't know how. I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know how to start a conversation with someone about Jesus. Maybe you've said, I'm afraid of what they might do or how they might react. Maybe we've said things like, I don't know the answer to all the questions they might ask me. And all those things may in fact be true. But let me say something else here. These are arguments and excuses of the powerless. If you have this morning, accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if the Spirit is in you, one thing you are not is powerless. Don't let yourself buy into the excuses of those who don't know Christ. If you are this morning a believer in Christ, you have the Spirit of God, and yes, you may have some fear, you may have some uncertainty, you may not know quite exactly all the details of what you think you might do, but you don't let that stop you because you have the Spirit of Christ. We are not a powerless people. Stop acting like it. You and I have the Spirit of the living God who with a spoken word created the universe. And His Spirit dwells within us. You may think to yourself, I don't have the perfect words. Okay. I think the God who created the universe can work through you anyway. I don't know what to say. That's all right. I think the Holy Spirit, the living Word of God, who knows all things, who is omniscient, can somehow communicate what He wants to communicate through your obedience. Do not allow yourself to fail to obey, or to, do, not, do not disobey the Lord because you're afraid, because you think you're powerless, because you are at that point denying the Spirit's presence in your life. We are this morning of all people most empowered because we have the presence of the Spirit of God within us. Ben Witherington wrote a book on the book of Acts. And then he said this, Throughout Acts, the presence of the Spirit is seen 
as the distinguishing mark of Christianity. It is what makes a person a Christian. Acts 2.21, we'll get to that in a few moments. Acts 2.21 indicates that the giving of the Spirit is not just for ecstatic speech or spiritual gifts, because it enables one to confess the Lord's name from the heart and be saved in the first place. It's clear from Peter's speech and the quoting of Joel 2. The working of the Spirit is seen as the sign that the promises of the Old Testament are being fulfilled in the lives of those who follow Jesus. All of God's people, from the least to the greatest, will have the Spirit and be equipped for witness or service with various gifts in the age ushered in by Jesus. So whether you're behind a pulpit, whether you're teaching a Sunday school class, whether you're working with infants in a nursery, whether you work in an insurance office, in a factory, or in a classroom, whether you have a, a high school degree or a doctor's degree, or none of the above, it matters not at all. Because the Spirit of God, if you are a follower of Christ, dwells in you. And that overcomes everything else. Now there are some things in this passage that Joel talks about, that Peter quotes. Things like wonders of the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoke and darkness and Blood, moon into, uh, and, the, and the moon into a blood red on the day of the Lord. Not everything Peter talks about here has actually come to pass just yet. But what has happened is this. Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, has clearly inaugurated or begun the last days. That's one of the things that Peter's talking about. The event of Pentecost 2,000 years ago has begun what the Scripture calls the last days. Pentecost begins it, and guess what will end it? The return of Christ. Now we're in between. So we're just in the middle of some portion of these last days. I don't know when the last days are going to culminate. I don't know when it's going to end. I do know it will. But there is this last days. Now, imagine a scenario, and some of you have lived through things like this. Imagine a scenario where there's someone you love, and for whatever reason, they are taken from you for a period of time. Maybe months, maybe Sometimes those, of, uh, those, of, those who are in the military know what it means to have one or the other partner take you away for a long time. Whatever it might be. And there is in that time of, of, separate, of separation a longing and a hunger and a, a missing of the other person because they're, they're not there. You can't talk to them. You can't see them. And there is a, a, a longing there. It creates perhaps even a sadness. When the book of Joel is written, the people of God are, as a nation, kind of encountering something like that. Now imagine, you get word, you've been separated for six months, you've been separated for a year for whatever reason, and all of a sudden you get word that in two days, here comes a reunion. What's that going to be like? Is that exciting? What happens if you've been... Uh, let's say you've been on a diet and you have not been able to have the food you want for uh, a little while. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the diet ends and you know in two days, you get chocolate cake or a pizza or both. Are you excited? 
Yeah, are you talking about it? Probably. Well, here's what's happening. In Joel and for us, you and I are anticipating in these last days, knowing that we haven't seen God in His full glory yet. We haven't seen Christ face to face yet, but it's coming. And you and I, while we have the presence of the Spirit in our lives today, and we are in fact empowered, we know there's a day coming when there's more. When we see Him face to face. When there's no more tears, there's no more struggle against sin, and all the, the plans of God have come to uh, that ending goal. We know that's coming, but it's not here yet, but it's on the way. Doesn't that get you excited? Don't you want to talk about it? Here's what, here's what Peter's talking. He's saying, listen, we're in the last days now, and one of the signs is the coming of the Spirit of God. We don't know when the end is. I bet you if you ask Peter, when's the end going to come? He probably would have thought in the next couple of years. The truth is, every generation of Christians has thought that their generation might be the last one. And the truth is, 2020 sure feels like it, doesn't it? <laughs> Does 2020 seem like the end of the world? I mean, I, we, got, we got plagues, we got violence, we got conspiracies, we got earthquakes, we got fires, you name it, we got it. When you watch the news, you're going, man, the, the world's got to be ending. Maybe it's this year. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I do know this. From what Peter said, in history, so to speak, let me just go with this. We're in the fourth quarter. And the clock is running down. I have no idea how much time is actually on the clock, but I know we're in the last days. Now that can do a couple things. It can make us be afraid. It can make us panic. Or it can instill within us a sense of, I've only got so much time left, I better get to work. You see, the days that we live in today as a, as, as, as a nation, it's tempting to see all that takes place and want to, to cover your ears with your hands or close your eyes and, and to panic. Or what you and I can see as the empowered people of God is an opportunity and an urgency to take the gospel of Christ and to speak it to those who are afraid. You see, what stands before us as a church is not a hurdle, but in fact, an opportunity. I know that things are different now. We're wearing masks in church. We are able to do all the things we are used to doing a few months ago. And maybe that will change in the next few weeks. Maybe it won't. I don't know that either. I do know this, that all these things that have, on, in, in some respect, kind of kept us from doing what we think of as normal are not things to be afraid of, but in fact are things that may open up opportunities to share the gospel in power. These are the last days. And of all the things that you and I can talk about, politics, Pandemics, violence, hatred. There's really only one worth spending a whole lot of time on. Verse 21. What does this mean? That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. The day of the Lord 
speaks on the one hand of coming judgment. It's a warning. So what you and I know this today is this. Whatever the timing is, that we're in the fourth quarter, we're in the last days, that when the game is over, it's over, there's no overtime, that the, when the game is over, judgment will come and salvation will come. Those two things will come. And knowing that, God has sent you and I to tell everybody from north to south, from east to west, from poor to rich, how they can be rescued from the day of the Lord and be on the salvation side and not on the judgment side. Everyone, remember this is, again, this is not, this is being spoken to people who thought of themselves as exclusive, as somehow privileged, as somehow better than everyone else, that salvation was only for them. This was Jonah's issue as we've been looking at Jonah on Wednesday nights. This is the struggle that Jonah has. He doesn't want them to be saved. He just wants us to be saved, so to speak. I hope we aren't the same way as Jonah. Everyone can be saved. That means rich and poor. Now, I haven't talked about that too much, but the reality is, if you go to 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with the church in Corinth who is separating themselves from, by rich and poor. The rich people get one level of, of, uh, of stuff at church, and the poor people get another one. And they're separated. And they're even eating together as a church in the same location, and the rich people are picking out, and the poor people are sitting there watching them eat because they got nothing. And Paul's going, how dare you do that? Every one of us who has called upon the name of the Lord as the Spirit of God will be saved and are called to go to everyone else. The gospel is for everyone. Understand that you and I this morning, in Jesus' day, in the day of Peter, you and I, every one of us in this room, would be the ones that would be excluded. You and I would be the ones that the people in Jerusalem would look at and go, you guys don't get God's Spirit you guys aren't worthy of it. You're not good enough. That's how they would look at us. So you and I this morning, sitting here as those who have chosen to follow Christ, we are the everyone. And we cannot exclude anybody else either. What does Pentecost mean? It means that the Spirit of God has been poured out. It means that the last days have begun. And it means that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what it means. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning that you have loved us. That you have not excluded us. For Lord, there is not a single one of us in this room this morning. There's not a single one of us watching online at home, there's not a single person listening to this, no matter where we are, who is worthy and has earned any regard from you. None of us can post a resume that says we are worthy of your salvation and your love. And yet, Lord, here we are. Because you, in Acts chapter 2, said that the gospel was for everyone, and that's why we're here. 
O Lord. May we as your people this morning be as intentional and urgent as those in Peter's day to take the gospel to the world, to all people. Whether it's the person across the street from us who has almost nothing to eat, whether it's the person in the next town over who looks different than us, whether they are from another country or from another continent, whether they make more money than us than, or less money than us, whether they have a, an education or whether they don't. Lord, may we take that which we've been given, the Spirit of God, and speak of it to all others. May we do so with the urgency of the last days and the promise that the Spirit you've given us will carry us and be with us as the promise that will seal us to the very end. Lord, may we be a people of joy, a people of urgency, a people of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.